Epiphany, let's greet our guests again one more time uh, with a warm welcome. If there's anything we can do to make your stay more comfortable, just let us know. Uh, so we're just excited to jump in today. We are in a brand new series. Yeah. Uh, we're teaching this new series called Joyful. Y'all like that? Okay. Now, that's not me being cute. That's two words. It's not me combining one word, two words, and trying to put them together and add an L. Like, I didn't do that for all my English Nazis and stuff like that. Like, Pastor Derek, that's not how you spell joyful. <laughs> I know. It's two separate words. Um, and we just want to help you to have your joy be full. Amen? Uh, we just walked through a series on fear. Uh, where we talked about fear of the past, fear of the present, fear of the future, and uh, centering ourselves in the fear of God. And so now we want you to see that the result of being free from fear is having joy. And so we want to walk you through that today. And so we're just excited uh, to jump into this today. This series is going to be a survey of the book of Philippians. Uh, so we're going to walk through the book of Philippians. I'm just going to give you a, a, a big overview writing to the Philippian church uh, so that you get a clearer picture of it. And uh, we want to help us grow in joy because Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, he says, I pray that you may have the joy that I have and the joy that he have, he phrases that our joy might be complete in him. So we want you to have a complete and full joy that will lead to a generous and content life. So we're going to journey into this today um, and I ask you you that you would pray for me and with me this morning uh, we came we just came off of a, a, um, a two-day conference uh, in Philadelphia uh, Epiphany Network of Churches puts on a conference every year uh, it was an amazing anybody go to the conference anybody get to go one or two of you okay three or four of you all right y'all missed out if you didn't go and we're not going to share the uh, stuff with you neither <sighs> so we have to figure it out <laughs> it may not be right on time. Listen. <laughs> it was called do the right thing and you should have done the right thing and come. <laughs> Zing. All right. Uh, so pray with me. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you so much because you are good. You are good and your mercy endures forever. So, God, I pray right now, God, in this moment, in this preaching moment, God, that you would be glorified and your enemies horrified. Father, I pray, God, that as you use me as a vessel to speak to your people, that they would hear the words of life be proclaimed and cry out, Lord, help us to obey. And if there's any under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you upon the completion of this word, I pray that they might respond by saying, what must I do to be saved? God, because that's why we're here. That's why we gather. To see lost people become saved. To save people become pastored. Pastored people become trained. And trained people get mobilized. So God, in that spirit, I pray that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, who I place all of my trust in 
whole church says, Amen. Amen. So the, the Duke of Wellington is best remembered as the general who defeated Napoleon. That's why it's called Beef Wellington, because he had beef with Napoleon. Boo! <laughs> I tried it, though. Listen, I, I, I'm out here. <laughs> I'm out here. So he's the general who's known as, uh, for defeating Napoleon at Waterloo in 1815. And during his early service in India, Wellington was in charge of negotiations after the Battle of Assai. So the emissary of an Indian ruler, anxious to know what territories would be ceded to his master, tried various ways to get information from the Duke of Wellington. Finally, he offered the Duke of Wellington a large sum of money, tried to bribe him. And the Duke of Wellington asked him this. He said, sir, Mr. Emissary, can you keep a secret? And the emissary responded, he said, because he was hyped because he thought he was about to tell me. He said, yes, indeed, I can. And the Duke of Wellington said, so can I. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you nothing. And so here's what I want us to see in the past, this passage today. I want to tag this text as the secret of joy. The secret of joy. Or a joyful secret. And I'm going to submit this idea to you today is that if you are going to be joyful then you must know the secret. If you are going to be joyful, then you must know the secret. Here's the first secret that you need to know. It's called the secret of fellowship. Join me in verse number three. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy. Somebody say with joy. For all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul here is writing to the church in Philippi. And he's letting them know of his thankfulness for them. Paul is giving thanks for the Philippian church because, as we'll find out, the Philippian church was special to his heart because of their generosity towards him. And so Paul is writing to this church and he's letting them know, I, I give thanks for you with every prayer that I pray. This word here for give thanks is where we get the word Eucharist from. Eucharist is the celebration of the communion meal. We celebrate communion every week here at Epiphany, and we believe that Jesus is present with us in that meal. Communion is the remembrance of the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus Christ. So I want you to take note that while Paul is in prison, he is able to write a letter. And the only reason why he is able to give thanks is because he is looking not to his chains, but to Christ. 
See, Paul is not looking at his chains. He's not looking at his circumstances. He is only looking to Christ. He says, I give thanks. I eucharisto you. I give thanks for you. I, I call on the presence of God because of you. And so Paul is walking this through as he's greeting the Philippian church and letting them know that it is because of Jesus that I am able to give thanks. So if we're going to have joy, and if we're going to give thanks, even in our imprisonments, then we must have the body and blood of Christ constantly on our minds. See, there's no way for you to have joy if you're not focused on Jesus. I'll say that again for the people hanging in the hallway. There's no way for you to have joy if you're not focused on Jesus. See, during this season, and y'all irritate me, I just want to put that out there. Because it is November 3rd, like, and I can't even walk into Target without tripping over a Christmas tree. Like, can y'all calm down? Like, just slow it up a little bit. Y'all all hype, hanging up your, your garland and stuff like that already in your house. And, like, it's just not that serious. Like, can we eat some turkey first, please? I mean, goodness gracious. But during the season, we, we focus so much on Christmas presents, right? We want to make sure that we get the right type of gift uh, for our loved ones and our family members. And some of us, we uh, uh, obsess over that stuff. And we, we, we obsess over that stuff because we think that the presents that we're going to receive on Christmas morning are going to bring us joy. And listen, they will bring you a level of joy. They will bring you a level of happiness. But what you really need to focus on if you're going to have joy is not some Christmas presents, but the presence of Christ. And see, I want us to understand that is that if we are focused on the presence of Christ, then we will really, truly be able to have a joy that will not pass away. See, the, the, the old song says that this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And watch this. The world can't take it away. See, we, we, we go through this life and we go through challenges. And, and here's what the world would tell you. The world would tell you to do what makes you happy. That's what the world would say. The culture tells you, like, just do what makes you happy, bro. Like, bro, <laughs> like, do whatever makes you happy. And if it don't make you happy, bro, you walk away. But they, they miss something critical, right? Happiness is circumstantial. And so th that's why if, if they would tell the truth, their search and their quest for happiness oftentimes leaves them unhappy and lonely. But when you have joy, <laughs> when you've got joy in your heart, joy unspeakable, when you are joyful, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You'll be able to walk through the fires of life and you'll still come out on the other end with a song in your heart and joy on your lips. And so I want us to walk through this and understand this, and Paul's going to help us out with this. He's going to help us understand the gateway to having joy. He says here, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. See, Paul is able to give thanks because he is constantly in the practice of remembrance. See, my kids go to a Christian school, so every week my daughter, she comes home with a Bible memory verse that she has to memorize. 
And so my baby girl, she's she's in the second grade now, and so she's she, her her memorization memorization process is daily. She come home, she's like, "Daddy, you <laughs> like it's that time because uh, I got to learn this verse because you sent me to the school and paid all this money <laughs> for me to go here." Uh, so she comes and she's practicing, she's memorizing, she's she's going over. We we use we use a um. An app called Fighter Verses to help her remember the, 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 the scriptures that she has to memorize. It, it takes words out. You've got to fill in the blanks and all this stuff like that to help her remember. And, and every day, multiple times a day, my daughter comes and says, Daddy, can you practice my verse with me? Now, she's doing that because she wants to get an A. But when we practice remembrance, we have to understand that if we're going to unlock the secret of joy, then we have to remember See, the challenge is, is this. It says, is that we get into life circumstances and situations and we automatically forget. See, we, we get in the midst of trials and difficulties and we automatically forget what God has done for us in the past. And so we start freaking out and going crazy because we don't remember that just last month you were wondering about how you're going to pay your light bill. And God showed up with somebody to put a hundred dollars in your hand so that you'll be able to pay your light bill. See, what we forget is, is that the last time we were caught in our depression, God sent somebody with a word for us to encourage our hearts and to strengthen us and to remind us that he is in control of our lives. See, we forget. We don't properly remember what God has done for us. And the secret of joy is remembering. Watch what's Paul's life. Paul's life, his life will be a testament to us. Paul here is writing this letter telling them I give thanks. And Paul had been stoned, beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, all for the sake of Christ. And God delivered him from those things. See, when you wanted to stir up the old church... All the, the, one of the church mothers or one of the deacons would stand up and say, when I think of the goodness of Jesus. Uh, I had some believers in here today. They said, when I think of the goodness of Jesus, watch this, and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. And if there's some people in here who remember what God has done and can think on the goodness of God, just take three seconds to give God some praise. See, God has been good to you. Here's how I know it. You're in this room breathing. See, that's how I know God's been good to you. Because you're breathing right now. And see, listen, we wanted to understand, we got to remember what God has done for us. And here's what Paul says. He says, I give thanks to God for my, in my every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you. Somebody say always. always. See, this word can mean at all times or all days, sorry, all the days. But some translators define this word as Every when, W-H-E-N. Y'all tracking with me? So in other words, the secret to joy is to pray for every when, W-H-E-N. When things don't go your way, pray. When things don't turn out right, pray. 
when things start going out of control in your life, pray. When all hell starts breaking loose in your house and those children that you've been trying to raise won't listen and they won't do right by you and they won't pay attention to what you're asking them to do, pray. When the bill collectors start calling and calling you by your first name, hey, Bob, uh, hey, bro, what's going on, Bob? Yeah, man, uh, how was last night? How, last night, um, who is this? Yeah, I was calling to check about these bills that you have due. You're like, hold on, bro. <laughs> Their accent starts coming out. Listen here, friend. You have. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, cuz. <laughs> Call me by my first name. You don't know me like that. But when the bill collectors start calling, pray. When your bank account is low, pray. See, when you pray for every win, it will help you to remember Every win, W-I-N. See, when you pray for every win, it'll help you remember every win. When you get in the posture of praying through your problems, guess what happens? God starts to remind you of how he brought you through the circumstance that you were in before. You start to, he starts to remind you of the wins that he gave to you when you should have been caught up in the mess that you got yourself into. If we're honest, most of the stuff we find ourselves in is because we put ourselves there. Because we won't listen. We won't do what God says. So we get caught up in the situation and now we're expecting God to deliver us. But God says, I'd rather protect you from yourself than have to deliver you if you would just listen to what I say. So listen, the turmoil in your job don't seem as bad because you can remember the last time you were in a situation on your job and Jesus came through for you. Is that all right? So he says, I'm always praying for you. Paul here is saying, he says, I entreat God on your behalf. I I make a request to God on your behalf. And we can always pray and pray with joy because we have a God who will answer us. Let me illustrate this for you real quick with Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. He says that now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. He had some problems. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he was unwilling. But later on, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. So that she does not wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the judge, the unjust judge says. Here's the question. God asks wonderful questions. He says, will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, the the, the challenge with us having joy is because we don't have faith enough to pray. See, the challenge with us being joyful is that we don't have faith enough to pray when situations come up in our lives. See, we, we, we can pray even in the midst of injustice because God will swiftly answer us. 
And we have to know that he will answer us. And so he's, Paul tells them, he says, I pray always for you with joy. See, we don't pray with joy. We pray with anxiety. We, we, we pray with depression. We pray with doubt. While we're praying, we're doubting that God will even answer us. And then look confused when we don't get the answer we're looking for. Sounds strange. But this here, Paul is saying, I pray with joy. This word is the word chara. It's, it's, it's a Greek word, which means calm delight. See, and what Paul is suggesting to us here, he's saying is that when you pray, you ought to pray with a calm delight. Even when stuff is going out of control, you can pray with a calm delight. Even when your life seems like it's falling apart and your difficulty is coming after you, you can pray with a calm delight. And so that's what Paul is inviting us to. He's inviting us to not allow our circumstances to cause us to go haywire and crazy, but allow our prayer life and our faith in God to cause us to have a source of joy in which we cry out to God with a calm delight. See, what we forget is that in the early church, they, they had some persecution, right? They faced all types of difficulty. And the one thing that kept them together was their prayers, like their ability to pray and wait on God to show up. And they weren't just praying like, God, if you could, maybe, God, please, if you think about it, please show up. They say, no, God of heaven, we need you. Our Lord and Savior, we, we, we call upon you. Our God who is able to answer and deliver us from our enemies, God, we pray for you to show up. And see, we got to pray some prayers like that. We got to have a calm delight about us when we pray. And so he goes on to say, he says, listen, and here's what I want you to capture, uh, the secret of fellowship here. He says, I pray always for you with joy for all of you in my every prayer because, verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This partnership is the word koinonia. It's a word that means fellowship, association, intimacy, community, communion. Paul's secret to joy even in his imprisonment, was that he was not alone in the fight. See, Paul knew that he wasn't by himself, even though he was by himself in prison. See, Paul knew that he had a community of believers around him who were supporting him and praying for him. That's why he writes to the Philippian church to thank them and thank God for them, because he knew that he was not by himself, even though he was in the midst of a circumstance. And say, here is where the joy of fellowship comes into play is because we have to know that you can have joy when you know that you have a community of people around you. We're going to dedicate little Eliana today. And we're doing that because we want her and her family to know that they've got a community around them. That's going to love on them and support them and be in partnership with them. And so when things get tough for them, guess what they can have? They can have joy because they know they have the secret of fellowship, which will lead to joy. And so, look, he says, I pray for this partnership in the gospel. The secret of, to joy is having fellowship with the community who will remind you of the glad tidings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded of the good news in Jesus. 
You need to be reminded when you're struggling with doubt that, no, you don't have to struggle with that because God died for your sins and you don't have to worry about anything because when he died for you, he freed you from the bondage of sin. So you don't got to struggle with that stuff you're struggling with, bro, because God has already provided a way out for you. And so the gospel will remind us of that. So the first one I want you to remember is the secret of fellowship. And next, I want you to see the secret of fearlessness. If you're going to be joyful, you got to know the secret of fearlessness. Paul says here, he says in, in verse 12, he says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And these preach out of love. So Paul is stating here, he's saying, I want you to know, he's stating here that he has a purpose. He is deliberate in his sufferings, and Paul has endured the imprisonment with joy uh, and, and fearlessness because he knew that he had a purpose. And see, what happens with us is that we don't recognize that our trials and our difficulties have a purpose. See, that's why we don't have joy fully is because we won't allow ourselves to sit in situations that we're uncomfortable in. We won't allow ourselves to sit in circumstances that we're not happy with all the time. And the reason why we don't do that is because we don't recognize that sometimes our suffering is not about us, but it's about somebody else. See, when you start to recognize that what you're going through, God's going to use it to help deliver somebody else. But all times we're selfish. We say, God, bring me through this. God, I don't want to, I don't, uh, I don't like this. But God is saying sometimes, nah, I need you to sit in it a little bit longer. I need you to, to, to go through it a little bit longer because there's some patience that I need to develop in you. There's some perseverance that I need to, to develop in you. There's some endurance that, I, that needs to be birthed in you. And if you sit there just a little bit longer, I'm going to produce a fruit in you that you will not be able to pass off because you'll be able to have it full in Jesus. So we got to stop thinking that our, uh, that our suffering is about us. It's not. Paul says that the, he's telling them, he says that our, his purpose was to proclaim the gospel in whatever circumstance he found himself in. That's even in prison. Paul says this imprisonment has a purpose. And surely the little difficulty on your job has a purpose. You might feel like you're imprisoned in that little cubicle of yours. But hey, listen. You know, you got to start somewhere. Come on. Uh, But watch this. Our purpose ought to be the same. I love when preachers and people talk about your purpose. They say, you know, if if you would just access your purpose, then you'll have everything you need. Your purpose for greatness is right there. And they always talk about purpose for greatness, but they never talk about purpose for suffering. Like we, we never talk about purpose for suffering. Like, and this is the kind of purpose that Paul was greatly acquainted with. 
And listen, the early church was greatly acquainted with this type of suffering, this purpose. And we too should be acquainted with it. And so here's what he says. He says, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Here's what Paul is saying. In order for us to know joy, we have to have an intimate knowledge of pain. I know it's going to get quiet. It's all good. It's all good. Watch this. Joy and pain. Sunshine and rain. Listen. Joy. All right. Listen. Come on. Y'all play too much. Get back here. (laughs) Joy and pain go together. Oh, see, we don't like this type of preacher. See, joy and pain go together. Frankie Beverly and Mays told us already. Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, they rapped about it. See, you, see, when I said that in the first service, nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Thank God for some folks in here today. See, you, you can't know joy without having an intimate knowledge of pain, of pain. But more than that, watch this. You can't know joy without having an intimate knowledge of the pain that Jesus endured on the cross. See, if you're really going to know joy, you've got to be intimate with the pain that Jesus had to suffer while he was on the cross. See, oftentimes we think that the cross is like apostropedic. Like Jesus was up there chilling. Y'all good down there? Everybody straight? Nah. It wasn't comfortable for him. It it, it wasn't nice up there on the cross. He, He was going through great pain. On that cross, excruciating pain. And we expect our lives when we're followers of Jesus to be free from pain. Yeah, it will be free from pain when you get to heaven. There'll be no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more crying, all that stuff like that. But right now, guess what? You need to learn through your sufferings. And having an intimate knowledge of that will propel you to advance the gospel. This advancement is the progress or the furtherance of the gospel. This is my favorite verse in in scripture. Um, So much so that when I was in my younger days and had a fake rap career, my uh, Christian rap name was Furtherance. Don't repeat that. (laughs) A little bit of bars, but. I'm retired now. <laughs> and so, listen, we got to know that the advancement of the gospel takes place in the things that you go through. Like, joy is accessed not because you've had a carefree life. Joy can only be accessed because you've been through something. See, I, I want believers to stop this, this pretentiousness as if everything's all right all the time. Stop lying. Stop lying. Tell some people the truth about what's going on with you. And in, in doing that, the, the word says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's some people in your life who need to be set free through the testimony that you proclaim about how God delivered you from the stuff that you were struggling with. 
Like there's some people in bondage right now who won't get free until you stop faking and fronting about how God delivered you out of the stuff that you used to be in bondage to. And there's some stuff you won't get free from until you're honest about it with other people. You got to testify about it. So look, he said, this is what Paul says happened. He says, because of this, all of the brothers and sisters have gained confidence in proclaiming the gospel. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, many of the brothers and sisters will do that. They'll gain confidence. But somebody needs to know about what you've been through. That's why I can't stand the prosperity gospel in this lies. Like you can't. You can't have, they tell you you can have everything you want when you're in Christ. When the reality is, is that Christians in Paul's day were losing everything because of Christ. You can't have everything you want because of Jesus. No, he says, I'll give you everything you need. And sometimes what you need is to have your butt spanked. Because you ain't listening and you're not growing at the rate that God wants you to grow. So I'm going to send something into your life to help you to grow. And guess what it's going to produce in you? Joy. So it says, listen, they, they, they dare to proclaim the gospel more fearlessly without fear and, and because of the defense, for the defense of the gospel. And so all this stuff happened because of what they did. And so it's, he says, because of this, I rejoice. Here's what joy will do. Joy will cause you to be well and to thrive. See, when people see joy in your life, I, I was in New York a couple weeks ago, and a guy that I know, I saw him. I said, hey, bro, how's it going, man? He's listening to this. This is so funny. Look at this, this man said to me. He said, man, I'm thriving. Level 10 thriving. I was like, one, two, I was like, wow, bro. I, I, I mean, man, like, I never heard anybody say that before ever. <laughs> level 10 thriving? He said, yeah, level 10 thriving, man. <laughs> That's how he talks. <laughs> He's like, level 10. Okay, bro. <laughs> what he was really was saying was that the joy that I choose to hold on to in my life has caused me to thrive and flourish in places where I would have been dead and stagnant if I hadn't chosen joy. And see, for some of us, the reason why you're in the place that you're in, the reason why you're in the funk that you're in is because you haven't made a deliberate, a deliberate decision to choose joy. We say here that you can choose joy. You know that? Like you can actually choose joy. You can choose it. You, you, you can't choose happiness because happiness is circumstantial. But you can decide to choose joy. And joy will bring you over. And here's what joy will do. Joy will produce fruit in your life. And that's the last thing I want you to know is that if you're going to be joyful, you've got to know the secret of fruitfulness. Verse 21, Paul is wrestling with the notion of continuing to live as a prisoner for Christ or dying and going to be with Christ. He says, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. 
Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. See, Paul's wrestling with this idea of whether he should live or die. And I want to help us because what we do with, with, the, with the scripture is we sanitize it. We, we take the scriptures and we take quotes like this. Everybody quotes this. Like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, we'd be all hype about this stuff. People got to tattoo it on their body, all that stuff. But we sanitize it. What we don't take in consideration is that Paul was considering whether or not it was better for him to die or to go on in Christ. And see, what I'm not saying to you, I'm not saying that the key to joy is to ignore what's going on inside of you. I'm not saying that. Don't walk away from here and say, well, Pastor Derek said just, you know, choose joy and I don't, I don't feel joyful. No, you need to deal with what's causing your anxiety. You need to deal with the thing that's causing your depression. You need to deal with the thing that's causing you to struggle with abandonment because your father wasn't there for you when he should have been. Like, you need to deal with that stuff. Like, and if we don't deal with that stuff, if we don't properly recognize what God is doing there and we don't properly submit that to him, then we'll never be able to bear any fruit. It will never be able to answer the question of whether we live or die. See, God is saying that you you got to embrace this. And if you're really going to see fruit, that doesn't mean that you just let the stuff that goes on on the inside of you just continue to fester. That's what we do when we don't address it. And then it starts stinking. And everybody around us can smell it. Everybody around us can see the anger that's fuming from us. But we won't properly deal with it. Because we love to walk in this pretentiousness of everything's good in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I'm fine. Everything is good. Stop lying. Tell the truth about what's going on with you so that you can actually have some joy. But we let stuff fester and ferment inside of us and people smell it. And and we look at them like something wrong with them. Well, this is just how I am. No, it ain't. That's what you've become. And and if, if you would surrender yourself to the one who called you to be, then you will find yourself being free from the thing that you think that you are to become the thing that he's calling you to become. So, so I, I want us to capture what God is doing here. And so the secret of fruitfulness is this. Paul was wrestling. He's wrestling with this notion. Do I continue? Do I not? Do I stop? He says, oh, wait, but if I stay, it means fruit for you. See, Paul wasn't thinking about himself. What we do is we constantly think about ourselves. And Paul's saying, nah, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you prospering. I'm worried about you having joy. I'm worried about you abounding in Christ. And the challenge of modern day American Christianity is that we have become so individualized with our faith that we forget that it is a corporate reality. Christ came to die for the body of Christ. There's a corporate reality that we forget. We just have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I get what people are saying with that. But your relationship with Jesus isn't just for you. 
faithful Christians are thinking about other people, but they're also thinking about the people who are going to be here when you're long and gone. That's why we dedicate this little baby today, because we care about the generations. We care about the fruit that's going to be born for her, from her life. And we're calling each and every one of you to be responsible and helping to make sure that the fruit that comes from her is good Christian fruit and not fruit of the world. So Paul says, listen, I'm persuaded now because I was torn between the two. But for me to remain here in the flesh is necessary for your sake. Some of the people God has placed in your life, it is necessary for you to be there. Even if you can't deal with them regularly. Even if they're hard to live with. It's necessary for you to be there. Because God may be using you as the conduit to propel them into maturity. But we, what do we do? What tell it, what do you say we do? We, we cancel them. <laughs> Everybody get canceled. Like, it's cancel culture. Like, say something I don't like, cancel. Do something I don't like, cancel. Like, we will cut people off. Quick, fast, and hurry. But even worse, what do we do when God doesn't obey our commands? See, when God don't obey our commands, we cut him off too. We'll cut God right off. We'll cut his people right off. I'm sorry. We'll cut his bride right off. Now, you think you can be friends with me and disrespect my bride. You, you got something coming. That ain't happening. You better learn how to talk to my wife. I'm going to punch you in your mouth. I mean that. That's not no exaggeration. And so, listen, I'm serious. It ain't no turn cheek. I'm going to punch you in your mouth if you talk to my wife disrespectfully too long. <laughs> now you know the more you know. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. <laughs> All of that. So look, what do we think happens with Jesus when we constantly disrespect his bride? I just don't do church. Because church, I, church ain't for me. Them people in there. Hold up. That's the bride of Christ you're talking about. He, he never promised that she'd be perfect. But he did promise that she would prevail. And so we, we've got to walk in step if we are followers of Jesus with the prevailing work that that Jesus proclaimed. And that's the work of the church. So he says this. And I'm closing because we got to get going. He says... I'm persuaded. Paul's saying, I got confidence in this. Uh, and he was so convinced that the kind of investment that he was making would result in joy and would cause people to survive. But then he goes on to say, he says, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. There are there's two, two, two Greek words. Well, there's three, but there's two Greek words for abound. In the New Testament, the first one is pleonazo, which which means to make something increase. That's where to cause something about like if you had five dollars, I'll give you ten, and now you have fifteen. I've, I've caused you to increase. You understand what I'm saying? That's what the first word means. 
But the word that Paul uses here is a word that means to cause to be left over. So when Paul is writing to them, he's saying that for me to come to you again will cause your joy and your boasting in Christ to abound. What he's arguing is that is that your joy won't just increase, but it will be so great of an increase that there will be enough left over for somebody else. And see, the joy that we're called to is a joy that will be an infectious kind of joy. See, the reason why people will come to recognize Christ is because they recognize the joy that's in your heart. See, all hell might be breaking loose in your life and you're making a conscientious decision to choose joy and it's confusing to people. They say, how, how can you still be all right? How can you still still have joy? You just lost everything. You just got fired from your job. How are you okay? You, you just lost the, the closest person to you in life. How are you still good? And what Paul is saying, he said, listen, the joy that I want you to have is a joy that will abound. It will overflow and it will affect other people. God's calling us to that kind of joy. And my prayer for Epiphany Church is that we would be the kind of church that will have so much joy flowing from it that people walking past this building would just get a sense that there's something going on inside of this building. But my prayer for you is that as you sit in your cubicle and you eat your cheese sandwich, because we on the budget, it's budgeting season. My, my prayer for you is that emanating from your cubicle would be the aroma and fragrance of joy that will enter into the nostrils of unbelievers and they will start to respond and say what's that smell? <laughs> smell something on you you smell different than the other people in these cubicles what's going on? God wants a fragrance to flow from us and it's the fragrance of joy That kind of fragrance only comes when you've been dipped in the blood of the Lamb. And so in the blood of the Lamb, when you come out, you come out with a sweet-smelling aroma that will draw people to a Savior who came to die. Maybe you're out here today and you're wondering, I, I don't know what you mean, Pastor. Pastor Derek, I, I hear you saying this stuff about joy, but... I don't know how to get there. The scripture says that Jesus is the source of all joy. And if you're going to have the joy that I'm talking about, you can't have it without first having Jesus. And so I want to invite you today to a relationship with Jesus Christ. One where you rest in the reality of what God has done for you. Regardless of your situation or your circumstances, you can rest in knowing that God will give you joy. 
that's not me saying that when you give your life to Jesus, that everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows. I would be lying if I told you that. So I want to tell you the truth and let you know that in Jesus, you still going to go through stuff. And in fact, the enemy will put a full assault on you. But guess what? We sang it today. Jesus has won the victory. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. God is the source of our joy. And scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you can be saved. So I want to invite you today to confessing that Jesus is Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I pray for the one under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you right now. God, the saving of souls is serious business. And so God, we want to sanctify this time. So Lord, I pray God that if anyone under the sound of my voice that does not know you, who, who doesn't know about the full life that you promised us, you said that I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus offers a better life today. The life that you lived before will pale in comparison to the life that you will live after Jesus has come into your life. Won't you trust him today? If that's you in the room, we ask you to slip up your hand. We want to pray for you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to pray for you. We want to invite you into relationship with him. Talk to you about what it means to live your life for him. We're all broken pots, all broken vessels. Just trying to get it right. Trying to live for Jesus as he's called us to live. God be glorified.